Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you and remember. I'm with you always, right to the last day. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to all of creation, to every person everywhere. Jesus said, take this authority that I have given you and proclaim the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to everyone beginning here. And remember, I'm in you. There's a law in physics known as centrifugal force. I have to be careful when I'm speaking to a college church. We have people with PhDs in centrifugal force. Seriously, I think they do. It's that law that says whenever you turn the corner, gravity will push you to the outside. You feel it whenever you're riding a bike, motorcycle, wave runner, jet ski. Whenever you turn, Centrifugal force is what you feel throwing you over the other side. It's a merry-go-round when you were holding on to it and some big kid came and just started whipping it and you were holding on because if you didn't hold on, you'd get thrown off. When I was a kid, there was a ride called the Roundup in the fair. And have you been on this? Maybe it's so extinct now. If you're under 160 years old, you probably don't remember you got on and it was like a large cylinder. They didn't strap you in anything. They just, you stood there and it would start to go around and around. And the faster it'd start going around, you'd start feeling centrifugal force pushing you to the wall. Pretty soon, you couldn't move. You were up against the wall like this with nothing holding you in. And then it would start to tilt like this. So you're going up and down and you're still pushed against the wall. That's centrifugal force. What we learned was even when you get sick, <laughs> even that has centrifugal force. <laughs> I was a kid. We were coming around the corner in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, having just seen my aunt and uncle. And all of a sudden, as my dad turned the corner, my older sister flew out the side door, landed in the intersection. My dad didn't know it. He's like ready to drive off, and my older sister's going, uh, Dad, Marsh is back there in the intersection. <laughs> As I remember, she wasn't even crying. She was picking herself up, and she was kind of going, uh, hey. I was, I was in the back going, it's Mars, keep going, keep going. <laughs> it's that force that throws you outward the faster something goes. I say this because I think in the gospel, there is a centrifugal force. And I think we miss this. The gospel has two parts to it. It has one part that pulls us into the center and the other part that throws us out on the parameter. 
so that wherever the gospel is preached and heard well, two things always happen. One is the people always become preoccupied with Jesus. Not a cause, a person. The other is that it always throws them out. They tend to move to the center. It tends to throw them out. I see this in the Gospels. Say, for instance, in Matthew, there's almost 1,100 verses just in the Gospel of Matthew alone. And the whole thing's about the center. Jesus, who is he? What did he do? All but the last three verses. In Mark, it's the same thing. There's about... 680 verses and the whole thing is about the center until those last six then you start to feel the centrifugal force him throwing it out Luke there's almost 1100 verses and it's all about the center until the last 10 in all three cases That means more than 99% of the gospel, roughly speaking, is about the center. And less than 1% is about the throwing out. Let me give you just a kind of overview of what we've come to call uh, the Great Commissions. There's actually three different versions to this. There's the one in Matthew, which you know about. I just started by saying it, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, teaching them to observe everything that I taught you. And remember, I'm with you always. What he actually said in the original language is, as you're going, he doesn't say go. He says, As you're going, on your way out, because you're going. (laughs) I was was reading some time ago, Charles Spurgeon, he's a great preacher, preached in the 1800s. And he took preaching so seriously on Sunday mornings that Saturday night, night before, he'd always go to bed shortly after 8 o'clock. Didn't like company, and once in a while his wife would break the code and, and invite company over And his pattern was in the middle of a conversation at promptly eight o'clock, Spurgeon would get up and while the conversation was still happening, just sort of walk over, grab the door and open it up. (laughs) That's a really great story. I love this guy. That's something of what Jesus is doing in Matthew 28. When they came, they fell down and they worshiped him. Matthew 28, 16. And some people doubted. And right there in the middle of worship and doubt, it's like a morning worship service at college church. (laughs) There's people who worship and people who doubt. And right in the middle of that gathering, Jesus just walks over and grabs the door and says, well, This has been a splendid time. Now, on your way out, be sure and make disciples. And remember, 
I'm with you always, even when you think I'm not. In Mark, it's a little bit different. The idea in Mark is the sudden appearing of Jesus. He comes back from the dead and people don't believe it. So he starts appearing out assumingly of nowhere. And the person that he appears to, he proves that he's resurrected he's back from the dead so that person starts believing but still nobody else believes and so in mark what happens is he waits until they're all in a room around a table and then when they're all gathered together jesus appears again and in that conversation says now by the way Go and preach. Luke, it's different yet. In Luke, the idea is Jesus is appearing, but his disciples don't know it's him. So he's walking along the road and they're having a conversation with him, but they don't even know that it's him. And in the midst of that conversation, suddenly their eyes are opened and they turn and they recognize him. And the second they do, he disappears. This don't make sense. I'm thinking, man, you took all this time getting them to recognize you, and now right when they get you, you disappear? Well, in Luke, the idea, I think, is this now you see him, now you don't. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's trying to convince his disciples that he is present even when he seems absent. Even when you think he's not in the room because you can't see him and you can't hear him and he doesn't seem as real as other people around you, never forget he can suddenly appear and start joining the conversation right in the middle of it as if he's heard the whole thing. So in Luke, he waits until his disciples are gathered together and they're trying to contemplate the resurrection. What does this mean? And they're starting to encourage each other because Jesus isn't there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And he joins the conversation right in the middle. And he takes the scripture and he opens it. And he starts saying, you see this? This whole thing has been about me. Law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, the whole Old Testament has been pointing directly to me. Do you see it? And right when they see it, he says, good. Now get out of here. <laughs> so there's this, there's this pattern that occurs in all three of the synoptic gospels. Disciples tend to gather. And Jesus tends to send. Every year, I get a list of the top 100 fastest growing, largest churches in America. I got the same list a couple months ago. And every year, I don't care. It's not that I have no ambition 
for gathering. You, you understand, when you're talking about the largest organizations, you're talking about how many are coming. You're talking about a gathering and talking about ascending. It's not that I don't care. It's that that's just half of the gospel. The rest of the gospel is that just as people are attracted to Jesus, Jesus spins them out onto the world. I grew up uh, in an era in the church where it was always the largest Sunday school or the largest morning worship or the most people saved or the most people baptized. Today, we hear a lot about megachurches, which by definition is often about the number of people gathering. And it's not that that isn't important. It's that it's only half of what the gospel is. The question is about how we are taking those that gathered and releasing them into the world. That is the power of the gospel. So, in college church, our mission statement is to make more and better disciples who transform the community and they resource the church. Say it differently, we see ourselves uniquely positioned at a trailhead. From this church, people go in two directions. One of them is they go in the direction of the community wherever they leave or wherever they go to. And they take what we're doing here and if we do it well, they carry it with them into that discipline or into that profession and the place where they live. They reenact it somewhere out there. So what was once secular isn't as secular anymore because it's being influenced by the gospel as we talk about it here. And the other way that we do it is to take people who are starting to feel a call into the church in some way. They're missionaries, they're pastors, they're leaders or directors of something, and they start to feel out that call here. And we try to develop them. We try to give them as much of our philosophy as we can, and then we just release them. Now, a couple of things. Everybody that we release in sin. Just because someone leaves our church, we can't say, oh, we sent them too. No, they just left. There's the difference. It'd be like the Detroit Lions saying, oh, we don't ever lose, we just help other teams win. <laughs> Which they do remarkably well, but that's, that's that's just spin, baby. When somebody is just leaving and you say you sent them, they're not the same thing. When a person is sent, there's an intentionality to it. Let me say it differently. While we're together, we both have in mind the day when you're leaving. So that while you're with us, you're thinking all the time about being gone. 
So sometimes we say, you know, in our church, we don't talk about who comes. We talk about who used to come (laughs) because they were once here and now they've been released with intention to go in some other places. Now, we can't always control that, but we can just release them. So it's trying to take people that we know are called out there and giving them some of the deepest core values of our community here so that when they leave, it's expressed in some other way. That is where most of you are. This being the second service, it is filled with people who will establish your careers and professions in places outside the church. I can't think of a better opportunity. All we got to get down, people, is how to come to church and translate what happens at church in our different vocations. Because... The thing we must not do is gather together in worship and then as Jesus sends us out into our professions, we're completely detached from what just happened in our worship. That would not be sending. Sending would be gathering in worship knowing that in an hour we're going to leave and somewhere in our worship Jesus is going to be present. He's going to show up in some way. It might be the reading of the scripture. It might be the preaching of the gospel. It might be in the singing. It might be in other people. But he will show up while we're together and we're to capture that and translate that into the place where we're going. So I'm reading Luke because I think Luke really gives us a clear picture of this. I want to give you a couple of things that kind of came to the surface uh, when I was thinking about your calling uh, in the gospel of Luke. The first one is that Luke says, when you go, remember you are to be his witnesses. Luke opens the scripture and he shows you, the disciples, how he is present in the scripture, in the history of salvation. And then he says to us, you guys are part of that story. You are not just representatives of Jesus Christ. You are also part of a story that goes back to the law of Moses and it works through the prophets and it's there in the Psalms. You're in a long history of the gospel being released in the world. That's what you do. So we're not just gathering and we're not just leaving. We are witnessing out there to what God is doing when we're together. Does that make sense? I don't know how I'll say it. Uh, we were, uh, I was doing a session over in the Wabash Honeywell Center. <laughs> uh, we, we did a thing here called Sheep to Shepherd. And the idea of this was that... Um, What is needed in today's society is not more leaders, it's more shepherds. Because I think in their heart, good leaders want to be shepherds, they just don't know how. So while every leader, or while every shepherd is a leader, not every leader is a shepherd. Because shepherds do other things besides lead. They know the sheep 
that are around them. They know something about them. They can intuit what is happening. They can read their minds. They add value. They feed them. They develop them. And then they lead them to places they would not go on their own. And when there is trouble, they intervene. And when they wander off, they go after them. And so we said while we were together about two years ago, God has called us to be not just leaders in our community, but to be shepherds. That's an increase in responsibility. Will you step up? And 388 of you guys did. And you took that idea to different parts of Grant County. So I'm in Wabash talking to a bunch of CEOs about this for one of the organizations in our church. And I'm in the middle of my speech and I'm talking about service. And all of a sudden, Garriott jumps up. He's in the front row. He's running the company. And he jumps up and stands on the main floor. And he goes, just a second, just a second. Can I interrupt your speech? I was like, well, it's your company. Dude, it's your rodeo. Well, talk. And he goes, we got to get serious about this. We don't know the people who work around them. Sometimes we don't even know their names. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a bunch of money, put it into a fund, and we're going to break that up to the different facilities. And when somebody in your facility has a need, you are to discern that need before they tell you and use that fund to meet that need. I'm watching the leaders around the room go, we are? So they start getting busy mapping out while he's speaking prophetically to the organization. This is what we're going to do. Now, last, uh, about uh, two months ago, we were in, uh, in the series called Living Gospel, right? And uh, one Sunday afternoon, um, my wife was still in Wisconsin seeing the new grandbaby. Mm -hmm. And I had come home in order to preach here Sunday. And uh, so I did my thing, and she drove home all day. It's about a 10, 11-hour drive. She got home late in the evening, about 8 o'clock, not too late. But I was just sitting down to watch Sunday night football. It's a ritual in my house. Preach the gospel, watch football. That's how it happens. And right in the middle of the first quarter, all of a sudden, she just goes off. She's like, oh, man, this is ridiculous. I said, what is the problem? She said, I just got an email from my principal at Slocum Elementary School. She wants me to watch a video. She wants me to look at some slide and make some comments tomorrow. We said, well, you got all of 10 hours if you don't sleep. What's the problem? She said, I don't even understand this stuff. She puts this... Dizzy looking video, this little slide up here and says, make observations about this and come prepared. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, looks like this. <laughs> I went, that is gospel truth <laughs> right there. That is a word from God. She goes, what? You seem kind of... Uh, defensive about this. I said, why would you not find something profound to say in that? It's like the fifth gospel. <laughs> Those of you that are not here regularly, it was a slide we put in the morning service while I was preaching on making peace. 
And she's like, man, you're pretty persnickety about this. I said, that was on the screen this morning. She said, well, how did it get in my email? Well, what happened was the principal who never, to my knowledge, does not come here, got an email that day from the superintendent who is here. And when he saw the slide, he went, we got to do that in the schools. So because he's like me, he's old, he can't work a smartphone. So while he's fumbling around, his daughter goes, give me the phone, dad. Takes a picture of the screen. He goes back, uploads it, sends it to all of his principals and says, we have to make peace in our schools. So one of the things we're talking about is people from different careers and domains taking what happens and translating it. Had a friend who went in to see one of the doctors in our community. They discovered cancer. Friend freaked out. When the doctor showed him the news, he's coming to our church. And he sits down on the other side. And while the man's wife just began to crumble and the man started to get hoarse, the doctor sat down on the other side. The doctor did not tell me this. The patient did. Sat down on the other side and looked at that patient who is a preacher. And said to him, look right here. Nothing is going to happen to you. I will get alongside you. I will get in front of this. I will beat this. We will beat this. Now bow your head. We're going to pray. That's <laughs> how you translate. Jesus said, you're not supposed to change the world. You can't. It's too big for you. Just go be my witness. That's it. All you got to do is just tell them what I told you. Can you do that? Church, can you do that? Wherever you go, it does not matter the domain. Into every profession, into the farthest out places, can you translate what he's telling you into that domain? Yes? Then here's the last part, and I'll let you go. Here's the promise. If you do this, if you do this, then you will go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Never forget that. Never forget that. Matthew and Mark never mention the Holy Spirit when they talk about the commission. Only Luke does this. In Matthew, the big idea is go. In Mark, the big idea is preach. But in Luke, the big idea is wait. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. And I'm learning in my profession that I cannot assume I leave my house every day clothed with power from on high just because I'm a preacher. Now listen to me. If I can't do it in my profession, you surely 
can't do it in your profession. To wait for power from on high is to carve out time at the beginning of my day and to pull myself aside and with the word of God in front of me, let it speak to me. It is to pray and to ask God for his anointing. In my case, I review what's going to happen that day with that mentality. Somewhere in this day, God is going to show up. And if I don't wait, I won't even recognize him when he's here. To wait is to acknowledge that I am not in control of my own success. I'm in charge, but I'm not in control. Because my success depends on things that I can't control. Man, I can't even name them all. So to wait is to immerse those things in the power of God and say, you have absolute control. I put before you today the things that I have to do as mundane and ordinary as they seem. And I pray, God, that you will show up in those places. And if we do this, we will be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit Oh, man, I wish I could convince some of you how much more power that is. I was in uh, uh, Beulah. Beulah. Uh, it's a camp up in Atlantic District. They asked me to come up some years ago and preach. First time I went there. And then after I said yes, they sent a letter. And they said, by the way, here's some of the people that have preached here. I think Oswald Chambers or somebody like that was in there. You're like, oh, shoot. This is a bad idea. You ever said yes to something you wish you would have said no to? I think what they were saying is, remember when you preach at our camp, you're standing in a long line of people that God has anointed. What I heard was, don't screw this up. So I got there late at night. They picked me up, dropped me off at the speaker's cottage, and I went in. I went to bed. I woke up the next day. I had to preach that night. I woke up the next day, and I sat down to have my devos, and next to the lamp, there's a book about this thick. And I started leafing through that book, and it was filled with names, signatures, autographs of all the people that preached in that camp. And when I read them, I just went, daggummit. This is going to be a bad week. You ever been all prepared for something, and then right before you got to do it, you just think, I got nothing. Had that feeling. I got nothing, man. I got to stand in a historic camp, follow this kind of lineup. <laughs> I got nothing in the chambers. About that time, phone rang, and my dad said, how you doing? said, great, great, yeah, couldn't be better. He said, really? I said, no. I'm looking at this list of people that I can't hardly keep up with. I don't even know some of them. I'll never forget what he said. He said, you remember this. When you get up to talk tonight, the same Holy Spirit that was there a hundred years ago will be there tonight. And if you knew what he could do, 
with people who aren't prepared or ready or good enough, it would surprise you. So you get up there tonight and you open your mouth and you let him lead. That's what I wish I could tell you. If you could take the gospel out to your places. I know you're afraid. I know some of you are. I know you're sitting there worried about what am I going to say as if it was a speech. It's not. It's a conversation. It's a sentence here and there that you say at the right time. And if you could go out and you knew what the Holy Spirit could do without you. <laughs> What do you think he could do with you? So about the time you start feeling like you're too simple of a person, I can't tell you how many people in a college church come to me at some point in the week and confess, oh man, I'm just not formally educated enough. I don't feel smart enough to do this. Man, I say, oh man, perfect, perfect. Just step into it. About the time you feel like you're too small or you're too poor or you're too young and nobody will listen to you or in some cases you're too old. About the time when you think I'm not as talented as somebody else. You just remember, if you go in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you wait until you are clothed from on high, not full of your own ideas, it will shock you what God could do in your situation. Yes, you can.